Hi, I'm Dennis Hester, and I'm the pastor here at First Baptist Church Watauga, and we are grateful that you have tuned in to listen to these messages, either through our podcast or on our website. And as you listen to these, our prayer is that you would hear the Lord speak to you from His Holy Word. If you're interested in learning more about the church, you can get on our website at fbcwatauga.org. From there, there's a place where you can plan a visit, you can learn more about our beliefs. You can also request prayer through the prayer request page. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to get to know you. The most important thing that I'd communicate to you is as you listen to God's Word, that you find a place to get plugged into a local congregation, whether it's here at First Baptist or another local church where you live. If you'd like information or would like us to help you find a church home, uh, we'd love to talk to you about that. And you can contact us through our Facebook page. So God bless you as you listen to His Word, and may the Lord encourage you in your walk. So it was March 7th, 1839, and it was opening night for the play Richelieu, or The Conspiracy, written by English author Edward Bulwer-Lytton. Those in attendance heard these words, true this, beneath the rule of men entirely great, the pen is mightier than the sword. Behold the arch enchanter's wand, itself is nothing but taking sorcery from the master hand to paralyze the Caesars and to strike the loud earth breathless. Take away the sword, states can be saved without it. It was in this play that Edward Bulwer-Lytton coined that now well-known phrase, the pen is mightier than the sword. However, an earlier rendition of this phrase dates all the way back to a Greek playwright that died in 406 BC, and he said this, the tongue is mightier than the blade. I might that, like that even better. The tongue is mightier than the blade. And while worded differently, the heart behind these statements, of course, is the same, that the tongue while it is small, it, may, it is still a very powerful tool and perhaps at times the most powerful weapon that we have. So for the last few weeks, we've been in a new series titled Practical Christianity, walking through the book of James. And if I could boil down what James is saying into just a simple statement, it would be this, Jesus changes things for us. Jesus changes things for us. Jesus changes how we respond to our trials and temptations in this life. Jesus changes how we respond to God's word. Jesus changes how we treat others. And Jesus changes how we live our lives. Jesus changes things for us. And so as we approach our passage today, James turns our attention to the small yet powerful. James turns our attention to the tongue. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to the book of James. We're going to look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Now as you're turning there, let me just say this. We understand that in our world today, there are many avenues for our voices to be heard. And many times we speak through nonverbal means, through texting, through email, and of course through social media. And so it's important that as we read our passage today that, that, that we allow for ourselves to understand what James is saying and what James is teaching about the tongue to, to encompass all of 
these methods of speech, whether by tongue, by pen, or even by keyboard, so that we might allow for God to, uh, to invade and address the issue of our words in every area of our life. So let's read James 3, verses 1 through 12. He says, not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies and consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder whether, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. Now, as we look at our passage today, James immediately starts out with a negative statement, not many should become teachers. Now, in a speech class, you're typically taught not to start out start out a speech with a negative statement. However, James is not making a speech here. He's writing a letter. And while this is the start of our passage today, James is well into the middle of his letter. But as he gets to this portion of his letter, as he gets to this part where he's going to be, begin talking about controlling the tongue, James isn't wordy. He just gets right to the point have you ever felt that way? Just get to the point. Do you feel that way right now? <laughs> Several years back, I, I had a, a salesperson set up a, a meeting with me, and he wanted to meet me for coffee, and, and I agreed after all he was selling materials for the church. Uh, but as we sat down with our coffee, I immediately just said, all right, so what are you selling me? And this kind of caught him off guard a little bit. He, he wasn't ready for that. He said, well, I, I don't typically like to just jump right into my sales pitch. And look, I, I get it. It's a good sales technique to build a relationship with the client that you're trying to sell, sell to before trying to make the sale. But I wasn't looking for fluff. I just wanted him to get right to the point. And, and James doesn't give us fluff here. He just gets right to the point and he says, not many should become teachers. So it's important for us to, to understand both what James is saying, but why James is saying this. So, so first, what is James saying when he says not many should become teachers? So let me give you both the specific sense of what James is saying here, but also I want to give you a, a more general and practical sense of how we can apply this to our lives. 
So James is specifically referencing spiritual teachers that, that we see Paul reference in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when discussing the gifts that are at work within the church. So when James says not many should become teachers, he, he, he is specifically saying not everyone is called to be a spiritual teacher. That's, that's the specific sense of what he's saying. And so understanding that James's statement is, is coming from a place of calling, it's a good reminder for us that it's okay that within the context of the church, it's okay that we don't all have the same calling. It's okay that we're not all called to be teachers, especially with what James is going to say about the tongue as we continue on in our passage but I think that we can apply this also in a little bit more general and more practical sense by saying this. It's important for us to know when to speak up, but also to know when to keep your mouth shut. It's important to know when to speak up, but also to know when to keep your mouth shut. Listen, I get it. We, we, we all want to have a voice. We all want to be heard. And there's nothing wrong with having a voice. And sometimes what we have to say needs to be heard. But many times, and I would say more often than not, it's better to keep our mouths shut because sometimes, sometimes our words do more harm than good. So know when to speak up but also know when to keep your mouth shut. And James is gonna discuss the potential harm that our words have as we continue on in this passage. So that's, that's what James is saying. But why is James saying not many should become teachers? Well, there's really two schools of thought among scholars. The, the first thought is, is this possibility that there were many self-labeled teachers in the church at that time. And while they thought they were wise in their own eyes, they were really still spiritually immature and not ready to be in this role of a teacher. The second school of thought is that there were many who looked at the spiritual teachers of the time and they saw the respect that was given to those teachers and they clamored for that respect. They wanted that respect too. And so it really wasn't an issue of calling, it was an issue of pride for them. They wanted to be teachers because of their own pride. But, but in, in all honesty, they... They didn't have this spiritual gift uh, of teaching, nor did they have the calling to teach, and they weren't living a life truly reflective of a believer. And I would say that, that both of those possibilities are, are, are very good possibilities, uh, especially in the context of what we've seen in the book of James so far. As James is calling us to live a life of spiritual maturity, as James is calling us to live a life that lines up with God's word. But ultimately, James is saying not many should become teachers because James is reminding us that we should take our words seriously and that we should take this role of teacher seriously. And while James is referencing spiritual teachers, I think that we can all look to those who have been called to teaching in the field of education, especially right now during this time of COVID-19, and understand with greater depth the importance of being a teacher. 
And I think that parents have learned uh, a couple of things over the last several months. First, teaching is hard, right? It just is. Teaching is hard. And second, I'm not called to be a teacher, right? Listen, it's not lost on me the blessing that, that I have with a wife who is a teacher in the education field. Because when the school doors closed, not only did she step up to, to begin teaching her, her students online and to begin making videos and everything that went into providing online assignments, but she also stepped up to teach our own children within the home and to make sure that the assignments they were receiving from school, that they understood those assignments and that that they were learning along the way. It's not lost on me that I lucked out because I really didn't have to do that much during this time and our kids are better off for it. And so those of us, especially parents, who, who, who are not in the education field, we can easily understand this importance and we can understand that we are not all called to be teachers, but if we realize we're not all called to be teachers in the field of education and we take that role seriously, how much more seriously should we take the role of being a spiritual teacher before ever stepping into it? Or how much more seriously should we take our words and the weight of our words before we ever speak them, whether by tongue, by pen, or by keyboard. James would say that we should take our words very seriously. And so in the coming verses, James highlights both the positives and the negatives of our speech with a great emphasis on the potential damage of our words. And so let me give you a simple statement today. And in the spirit of controlling the tongue, I'm going to keep this statement short. Words matter. Words matter. Words can be used for great things, but they can also be used for, for terrible things. They can be used as a weapon. Words matter. Therefore, therefore, we should take our words very, very seriously. So back when I when I only had my driver's permit and, and I was learning to drive, my dad was teaching me, me to drive and he wanted me to take the responsibility of driving seriously. And so he would say these words to me, and I still remember these words to this day. He would say, a car is a weapon. A car is a weapon. It's not that a car doesn't have great usefulness, right? We can drive a car to the store so that we can get groceries and have food at home. We can drive our car to work so that we can have a job and have a paycheck. We can drive our car on road trips. We can drive all the way across the country if we want to. We can do great things with a car. The car can be a tool of great usefulness. However, if we use this car incorrectly or irresponsibly, it can be turned from a tool of great usefulness into a weapon of great terror and destruction. And so to ensure that I used this car responsibly and that I took this role of driving responsibly and seriously, my dad wanted to remind me of the great negatives of the car if used improperly. 
And that's exactly what James is going to do here as we continue on through this passage. He talks about this small and powerful tool, the tongue, and he reminds us that while the tongue has great benefits when used properly, when we use it incorrectly or when we use it irresponsibly, it can easily be turned into a weapon of great terror and destruction. So we're going to look at four things today that the tongue has the power to do, two positive things and two negative things. Then we're going to discuss how the tongue can truly be tamed. So first, the tongue has the power to direct. The tongue has the power to direct. Let's look at verses three and four again. It says, now if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. The tongue has the power to direct. And more specifically, James likens this small tool of ours to have the power to direct our entire bodies. But how can our words or our tongue direct our bodies? Let me rephrase this a little to say this. The tongue or your words have the power to direct your daily steps or how you live your lives. Think about what happens when we complain. When we focus our words on all of the negative things about all of our situations in life, if we're constantly complaining about others, we're likely not going to have a very good relationship with other people. We're likely not going to value other people. We're not going to see the value in them. Think about what happens when we complain about our jobs we're likely not gonna be a very good employee. If we're just constantly focusing on all of the negatives of the place that we work, we're likely not gonna put in the effort that we would to be an even better employee. We're, we're not gonna be looking for the success of this company and looking for the success of others working around us. Think about what happens when we complain about our spouse. If all of our attention is focused on the, the negatives of our relationship with our spouse, we're likely not going to be valuing our spouse. We're likely not going to be serving our spouse and putting in that effort to have a healthy marriage, to be growing in that relationship with them. And we may not even stay in that marriage if we're complaining about the church body that we attend and we're focusing all of our words and our attention on the negatives of, of the church body that we're a part of, it's gonna impact the type of member that we are in that church. It's gonna impact how, how involved we are. We're likely not gonna be involved very much. We're likely not gonna look for places to serve, for places to grow if we're constantly complaining about our church. And here's what I've observed about people that complain about everything in their lives. They tend to live a life of discontentment just moving from one thing to the next. So back when I worked in the business world, I worked with an individual that spent his entire career moving from one job to the next. He, he had never worked in all of these years, never worked 
any place more than a couple of years because as soon as he was unhappy, he moved on to the next job. He said he lived his life by one word, next. He even used his finger like that, right? He said he lived his life by this one word, next. That one word directed the steps of his life. The tongue has the power to direct. But now let's think about this in in a positive sense. What happens not when we complain, but when we focus all of our attention on the positives, when we don't complain, but we count our blessings. So what happens when when we count our blessings about others in our lives, we are likely gonna value other people. We're gonna build relationships with other people. We're gonna invest in others. We're gonna give them dignity and respect because we're counting the blessings of these people. What happens when we count the blessings of the job that we're in? We're likely gonna be a better employee looking for ways to help the company succeed and to help those around us succeed because, because man, we see all of the positives of this place that we're working in. What happens when we count the blessings of our spouse? We are likely going to be a better spouse. We're likely going to, instead of being selfish, we're likely going to serve our spouse out of selflessness because our desire will be to, to help our relationship grow with one another because man, I've got such a great spouse and I want to stay in this marriage. What happens when we count the blessings of the church that we're a part of? Man, it's gonna impact the type of member that we are. We're, we're gonna find places to get involved. We're gonna find places to serve, to find places to grow. We're probably gonna be inviting people to join us. We're gonna be, we're gonna be giving into that church body because man, we see the positives of where God has called us to connect our lives. So our tongue has the power to direct. And James uses this illustration of a bridle directing the entire horse, but he also uses the illustration of a ship and its rudder. So did you know that the phrase, by and large, which now means in general, by and large, right? It's actually a nautical term. So a ship sailing against the wind is said to be sailing by the wind, while a ship sailing with the wind is said to be sailing large. And by the 1600s, a ship that was able to sail regardless of wind direction was said to be sailing both by and large. In other words, this small tool, the rudder is powerful enough to direct the ship regardless of the circumstances on the sea. And so our tongue, while small, it is If we use it positively, it has the power to direct us both by and large, regardless of the direction of the winds of our circumstances in this life. So let me pause and ask this question. How is your tongue directing you? How are your words or how is your speech directing the steps of your life? Are you complaining about everything in this life? Or are you counting 
your blessings. And let me encourage you, just as James is doing here in this passage, let me encourage you to control your tongue. Just as a ship captain controls the rudder and the person riding the horse controls the bridle, control your tongue that the steps of your life might also be directed with control. So the tongue has the power to direct. Second, the tongue has the power to destroy. Let's look at verses five and six again. It says, so too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell." So the tongue has the power to direct, which has the potential to do many positive things, but the tongue also has the power to to set ablaze and destroy like the flames of a ferocious fire. So our country has become very familiar in the last several years with forest fires, especially those fires out in California. Acres of land buildings and homes just destroyed, decimated, and very quickly by these flames. But even in Texas, in times of extreme drought and and extreme heat, we have what we call a burn ban. And so during these times, during these burn bans, we're not allowed to even start a, a spark Starting any type of fire is off limits. And back when I was children's pastor here at First Baptist Watauga, there were several years in a row that we would go to kids camp and our fireworks show would get canceled because of these burn bans. Even though the fireworks show was gonna be beautiful, it was gonna be this positive things, right? The intention wasn't destruction. We knew and understood this truth. Even a small spark can ignite a ferocious and destructive flame. And so James likens our words to a spark that ignites a massive and destructive fire. That may not be your intention when saying those words, but just like a spark, it has the potential to ignite a massive and destructive fire. Now here's the temptation with our words. When it comes to our words, we oftentimes, we want to fight fire with fire. That person said something awful to me and burned me, so I want to say something awful back to them and burn them. We want to fight fire with fire. Now in actuality, that phrase, to fight fire with fire, is is a technique used to extinguish a fire in an area. But all too often in reality, when it comes to our words, fighting fire with fire does not extinguish the flame. When it comes to our words, when we fight fire with fire, many times the fire becomes fiercer and it burns and it becomes more destructive. And so I would propose to you The next time someone says something that burns you, instead of fighting fire with fire, put in place a burn ban. Resolve 
to keep your mouth shut and resolve to keep your words to yourself. Where I see this most practically played out is in the world of social media. On Facebook and on Twitter, people can easily use their words to burn one another. And I've never seen a fiery argument put out by fighting fire with fire. I've never seen a fiery argument put out by hurling insults at one another. But I have seen arguments dissipate when one person chooses not to comment back, when one person chooses to enact maturity and control. So when it comes to our words, let's not fight fire with fire. Instead, let's enact a burn ban. So the tongue has the power to direct, but it also has the power to destroy. Third, the tongue has the power to exalt. Let's look at verses 9 and 10 again. It says, with the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Now, in these verses, James clearly indicates that our tongue has the power to do two very different things, to, both to bless and to curse. And, and, and we'll look at, at the tongue's power to curse in just a moment. But, but let's spend just a minute looking at, at and discussing our tongue's power to, to worship, to bless, or to exalt the Lord. So with the tongue, we have, we have the most amazing abilities. We can sing songs, we can give eloquent speeches, we can recite heartfelt poetry, we can even tell someone we love them. But the most precious ability that we have with our tongue, the, the most awesome gift that we have been given with our tongue is to offer blessings, to offer up praise and worship, to exalt the name of the Lord and this is more than simply a gift. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a disciple, this is more than a gift. This is a calling on your life to exalt the Lord with your tongue. I'm reminded of Jesus' triumphal entry in Luke chapter 19. As the disciples are exalting the Lord saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. The Pharisees speak up and they essentially tell Jesus, get your disciples under control. And Jesus responds by saying this, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. And so I would ask you, do you need stones to cry out on your behalf this morning? Do you need stones to exalt the Lord in your place? Or are you like the disciples, unwilling to stay silent? Are you like the disciples, unable to stop exalting the name of the Lord? Now honestly, Right? We, we probably would all say that we are willing to exalt the Lord with our tongues, that we are willing to offer up worship and praise to the Lord with our tongues, especially in this Sunday morning setting, right? Whether we're online or here in person, we all just joined our voices corporately together to exalt the name of the Lord, to worship the Lord. 
And as we look at, at James's words here in this passage, there's an indication that there really wasn't a, an issue, it, it, there wasn't really a problem with the people that he was addressing offer, offering up praises to the Lord, exalting the name of the Lord. The real issue was the great contrast in the people's speech, the great contrast in their words, because while, yes, the tongue has the power to exalt, our final point this morning is that the tongue has the power to execrate. The tongue has the power to execrate. Execrate, now that is not a word that you hear or say every day, and maybe this is the first time you've heard it or the first time that you've said it, all right? But in a sermon on controlling the tongue, understand I have chosen my words very carefully and intentionally. So that word execrate means to declare something as evil or detestable. And it's derived from the Latin word execrary, meaning to put under a curse. But it's also part of the same Latin word family as the word sacer, which is where we get our word sacred. And to declare something as sacred means to declare it as holy. And so by using this word execrate, my desire is that one, it's going to get stuck in your head. Execrate, execrate, right? But I also hope that you will understand the weight of what James is saying in this contrast of our words where he says, with the tongue we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. That with our tongues we declare the Lord as sacred or holy, but all too often we are quick to declare other people as evil or detestable, and with our words we curse them. And how does James in verse 10 by saying, my brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. If we love God, then our response to those who have been made in the image of God should be a response of love as well. But what if they hurt me? We love them. What if I disagree with them? Love them. What if they're wrong? Love them. Here's a good truth that I've learned from another pastor. He said, we can disagree with each other without disliking each other. We can disagree with each other without disliking each other. All too often, especially in this age of social media, when we disagree with someone, the discussions quickly turn vile. And while we sit behind the safety of our own screen, whether it's a phone screen, an iPad screen, or a computer screen, as we sit behind the safety of the screen, we can spew hurtful and disparaging words to those who God says, I have made them in my image. And listen, it doesn't mean that they're right. It doesn't mean that you have to agree, but we can disagree in a healthy manner. We can disagree with each other without disliking each other. And a good thing to put in practice before ever opening your mouth or putting your fingers to that keyboard, a good thing to remind yourself is that the person you are about to address is an image bearer of the God you worship. The person you are about to address is an image bearer of the God you worship. So let me bring you back to the simple phrase that I said early on. 
Words matter. And what we do with this small and powerful tool, our tongue, matters. It has the power to direct, but it also has the power to destroy. It has the power to exalt, but it also has the power to execrate. So as we get ready to close today, I want to bring you now to verses 7 and 8. It says, Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame, tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Understand, as James is teaching us about controlling or taming the tongue, he is telling us that it is not something that can be done on our own. It is humanly impossible because it's not just that our tongues need to be tamed, it's that our lives need to be transformed. It's not just that our tongues need to be tamed, it's that our lives need to be transformed. And that's exactly why Jesus came into this world and died on a cross, because in our own strength, we cannot save ourselves. In our own strength, we cannot control ourselves. And in our own strength, we cannot transform ourselves. But if you are willing to turn from your pride, if you're willing to turn from your sins, to repent and to turn to Jesus and to al allow for him to become the Lord of your life, the promise that he gives us is that he will save us, but he won't just tame us, he will transform us.